Good morning, everyone. My name is Narelle Kostic, and it's my pleasure to be bringing God's Word to you this morning. For those who don't know me, I've been at St Mark's for about 17 years now. This has flown, I can't believe it's that long. Um, I've held positions on parish council and as a warden. I also worship lead here at 10am, and I have been a preacher in the past. It's been about three years since I've been up here preaching, and I must say it's nice to be back. Uh, I am a little bit nervous, though, because it's been a while. (laughs) Anyway, let's get into it. So in preparation for this morning's message, I found a description of Lamentations that I found quite amusing. It said that Lamentations is a paean of pain, a poem of pity, a proverb of pathos, a hymn of heartbreak, a psalm of sadness, a symphony of sorrow, a story of sifting, a tale of tears, a dirge of desolation, a tragedy of travail, an account of agony, and a book of boo-hoos. Quite a description, isn't it? So let's take a look at this passage from Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations appears in the Bible right after the book of Jeremiah, which we've been looking at, and follows on from the series we've just finished of Breaking Up. This book was written after the prophecies of Jeremiah have been fulfilled, and the Israelites are living out God's judgment. Our Bible reading starts with, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendour is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. Who is it that's saying this and why are they so devastated? The book of Lamentations is believed to have been written by the prophet Jeremiah during the time when the nation of Israel was in captivity in Babylon. As we will see, the prophet has good reason to be sorrowful. The life of of the Old Testament prophets was always hard and they suffered enormously. Why? Well, to put it bluntly, because prophets were sent to identify and point out sin. And consequently, the prophets of the Old Testament were rejected, persecuted, tortured, imprisoned or killed because the prophets spoke against the very things that the people loved and honoured. Lamentations is written as a passage of funeral poems. Now, usually with poems, there's a lot of light and shade, but with Lamentations, it is mostly shade, and probably rightly so. Our friend Jeremiah is in deep, deep sorrow or lament for the state of the nation of Israel and the circumstances that God's people find themselves in. Now, let's not forget, they were warned. They were warned about the impending doom And so the misery they are enduring is of their own doing. And you would think that maybe there might be a little touch of an I told you so from Jeremiah when the discipline of God comes, as he said it would. But there is none. Jeremiah is too troubled to be skiting and knows it is of no benefit. Saying I told you so is not going to change anything and brings little comfort to the prophet who weeps. Jeremiah's writing seems to be written not from his own perspective, though it is reflective of it, I am sure, but it's actually written on behalf of the whole of Israel, the burden of their defeat at the hand of their enemy weighing heavily as the impact of what was prophesied becomes their reality. We can contrast and compare this with the Psalms, written as a series of songs where God's praises are sung in good times and in bad. But for Jeremiah and his fellow countrymen, This poetry is written during a time where they are facing a long, slow, hard and desolate 70 years under foreign rule. And the worst part is, 
they had every opportunity to avoid it. To best understand Lamentations, it's good to understand the type of writing that we are presented with here. This series of poems is in a style of writing called acrostic poetry. This is a style particular to the Hebrew people. The first word of every line in the poem uses each letter of the alphabet in order. So it is as if by saying you know, the, the entire alphabet in its order, in its entirety, Jeremiah is saying everything, every grief, every sorrow from A to Z is included here. It's a comprehensive dirge, an expression of a deeply felt anguish, a sorrow and a grief at all that's been lost. And you can understand the heaviness of Jeremiah's heart when writing these words. The very thing he warned the Israelite people about was happening to them. And now he, along with the nation of Israel, was under the oppression of a foreign principality, the Babylonians. And whilst Jeremiah was not at all looking forward to what was coming, he understood that the consequences they were facing were a direct result of Israel's blatant unwillingness to listen to God, to do as he had asked and to put his will and purpose above their own. And so as a result, Israel is disciplined. The nation of Israel that had once been like a queen among the nations had fallen to the Babylonian army under Nebuchadnezzar. The land of Judah has been decimated. The city of Jerusalem is in ruins. The temple's been destroyed. And those who are left alive are in crisis. After a long series of battles, the sieges have taken their toll. They looked to their allies for help, but none was forthcoming. In fact, God had turned their allies against them in their time of need. The Egyptians had sent an army to oppose the Babylonians. And when the Babylonians heard that the Egyptians were coming, they retreated as they feared the might of the Egyptian army. But as God had promised, the Egyptians changed their mind and turned back, which allows the Babylonians to capture God's people in one final attack. Many people were killed and those who remained were taken into captivity and marched to Babylon. The people were desperate for food, they were tired, despairing of the lives and the livelihoods that had been taken from them. And it appears that the future the Israelites had once dreamt of was gone. And so Jeremiah and the nation of Israel are in a dark place. He states in verses 17 to 20, I have been deprived of peace, I've forgotten what prosperity is, and so I say, my splendour is gone and all that I hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Here Jeremiah is expressing the deep anguish that comes from having what you knew and what you wanted stripped from you. This describes the emptiness and the grief that comes from having everything you wanted, peace and prosperity and splendour and losing it all. The Israelites were in their homeland, the promised land, the land promised to Moses for God's people to live in, to prosper in and to be a mighty nation. But it's important to note here that the focus of what has been lost is personal. And what I mean by this is that the language that's used here is that it's all about me and I. It's my splendour that has been lost and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. The focus is not on what the Lord had provided or on what the Lord had wanted for his people. There's an emptiness and desolation here, but the blame 
is also not being placed on God. Now, in the 18th century, silhouettes became popular. They are shadow profiles traced and cut from black paper. And they were popular as an alternative to very expensive portraits. The word took its name from the French Controller General of Finance, whose name was Etienne de Silhouette. During the Seven Year War against England, he tried to raise revenues by heavily taxing the wealthy. Victims of his high taxes complained and used the word silhouette to refer to their wealth being reduced to a mere shadow of what it once was. With the destruction of Jerusalem, Jeremiah lamented over the shadow of what was once a great city, a centre of worship, now devastated by war. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see, is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me that the Lord brought? Jeremiah says in chapter 1. He's essentially saying here that there is no greater devastation to be found anywhere, no suffering experienced by anyone that can compare to the grief and sorrow being experienced here by God's people. The people of Jeremiah's day thought that they knew what was going on. They thought they would continue as they were and somehow everything would just work itself out. But everything they thought they knew was wrong. You only need to look at the history of the Israelite people to see there'd been a repetitive pattern of relying on God, being rescued by his hand, showing grateful obedience at the time, then becoming complacent, turning their back on God, doing things their own way, which ends in disaster, and needing to be rescued again. They were finally living in the promised land, and life was pretty good. And given all that the Jewish people had been through, having a permanent home to call their own was the fulfilment of God's promise and a dream come true. It was called the land of milk and honey. It was rich in natural resources and a place of rest after exile, slavery and wilderness. But what the people forgot was that this promised land came with conditions. God had covenanted with his people. In other words, he'd made an agreement with them in what is known as the Abrahamic Covenant, where God said he would do some things for his people, like give them their own land, bless them and everyone else through them, and make them a mighty nation of many descendants. And in return, they were to do some things for him, like trust and obey him and faithfully worship him. In this section of the Bible, God's holy people have turned their back on him and did as they pleased, ignoring their side of the obligations of the covenant. Now, I'd like to use a little illustration here that most of us would be familiar with, and particularly seeing I work in the property space, it's one I'm familiar with. So if I have a property and I agree to let you use it in exchange for something, usually today it would be money. So let's say we agree and I let you use the property in exchange for you paying me an amount of rent every month. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Now, what if you stop paying me the agreed amount? You've broken your agreement with me. So I get to take my property back and let somebody else use it. Now, imagine that this property is your home, somewhere that your family have longed for and fought for for generations, and you're the one who gets <coughs> kicked out. It's because of you and your behaviour that the land is taken from you and given to your enemies. And on the way through, they burn down everything you have, everything including your house and all that you hold dear. This 
is what the prophet Jeremiah is weeping for. Idolatry was such a serious offence to God that he threatened to throw the people out of the land if they worshipped other gods. And Jeremiah tried to warn them that they were heading for eviction. But they wouldn't listen. And now he, along with all the rest of his people, were kicked out of their home. The temple they'd built was destroyed and the promised land is gone. In Deuteronomy 6, through Jeremiah, God says, Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. The prophecy of what God would do came from Jeremiah over and over again to God's people. In Jeremiah chapter 11, he says, The Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Listen to the terms of the covenant and follow them. From the time I brought your ancestors up from Egypt until today, I warned them again and again, saying, Obey me. But they did not listen nor pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So I brought on them all the curses of the covenant I had commanded them to follow, but they did not keep. Then the Lord said to me, there is a conspiracy among the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem. They have returned to the sins of their ancestors and refused to listen to my words. They followed other gods to serve them. Both Israel and Judah have broken the covenant I made with their ancestors. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. The towns of Judah and Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they burn incense, but they will not help them at all when disaster strikes. They were in the promised land and believed they were safe, finally home and able to live life as a nation under God as they pleased. They knew the history of their ancestors and all they'd been through to get to this promised land And now it was there. They could not see the pattern of history repeating itself yet again. Just like in New Testament times, if we fast forward from Jeremiah 500 years, the people of the day were happily going their business, being important in their own ways and busily caring about the the cares of the world. They did not know their Messiah. He was being born amongst them, growing up, living with them, breathing, working, teaching and healing right with them. I find it fascinating that the wise men who were from a far off other country knew that the baby being born in that manger that day was a king. They'd studied the prophecies and they'd seen the answers in the stars and so they travel a lengthy journey and bring gifts fit to honour the king they expected to find. Did the religious and political leaders of Jesus' day know where to find him? Were they expecting him? No, they didn't recognise Jesus as the promised saviour. They thought they were waiting for a king, someone who would be a great leader, a strategist, who would amass a mighty army and vanquish all who stood against Israel. They were waiting for a descendant of King David who fought and directed many battles. Everything they thought they knew was wrong. Jesus held the harshest comments for the religious leaders of his day because he knew the heart of the Pharisees. Everything they thought they knew was wrong. They were lording it over people and living for themselves and their own interests, developing new rules to add to God's commands to allow them to prosper and avoid their responsibilities. They too were in rebellion and more concerned with themselves 
than with God's will and purpose. So how could they possibly have known the heart of God? You see, the thing is, if they were behaving in a way that was consistent with God's ways, they would have recognised Jesus even if they didn't know what to expect, even if they couldn't possibly have known what to expect. They would have recognised him. If they were truly seeking after God's will and were committed to fulfilling his commands, they would have realised who it was that was standing amongst them. They would have seen the Messiah in our Lord Jesus Christ. And what about for us today? Well, let's do a little experiment, shall we? I'm hoping this slide works because it didn't work this morning. Hopefully the problem has been fixed. Let's take a look at the slide I've got here on the screen. Yes. Okay, good. So what I'd like you to do, I mean, we're all reasonably intelligent people, so we should be able to work this out based on the fact that it is written in English. It's not foreign language, not foreign letters. And there are pictures here to give you some clues. So who'd like to give me an idea of what it says underneath that band? Ice cream is cold. Yep, that's one possibility. Any other suggestions? Ice cream is sold. That's another good suggestion. Any others? Ice cream is gold. Very good. You like ice cream? Yeah, I like ice cream too. So often we form expectations automatically, don't we? Without any conscious effort. And when our expectations aren't met, pain ensues. And we often blame someone or something that did not live up to our expectations, even if our expectations are unreasonable. I think as God's people, we need to come to terms with the fact that we have a very limited context and a very limited perspective. And the view that we see is very different from what God sees. In humility, we need to understand that everything we think we know is wrong because this says J-G-F-C-B-F-A-M-L-S-C-O-I-P. Not what you're expecting, was it? Now, you can blame me for putting pictures of ice cream and ice up there, right? But your expectation was set by you. We need to be very aware of this. It's just the same for us today as it was for the Old Testament people, the old nation of Israel. It's the same for us today. We are not different. We are sinful human beings with our own view, our own perspective and our own expectations. And we need to be prepared for the fact that everything we think we know is wrong unless we are prepared to wait on God for his direction and pray as we seek his voice. There was a time in my marriage to Mark, my husband, when we experienced something of what it's like to be out of line with God's will and purpose. We had our own business, and like many business owners, it was easy to get caught up in the demands of the business. I'd stopped working to have our son Daniel, and Mark was working long hours focused on building up the business and its success and earning money. Mark found it easy to justify how much the business needed him, and he became a workaholic with his focus firmly on pursuing business success to the neglect of his family. And I share this story with his permission. The business had become an idol. We had discussions and then arguments. And when nothing started to change, I resented the business. I started to resent the attention the business was receiving and I responded in anger and withdrawal. Neither of us were behaving the way that God expected us to behave. And as a direct result, things started to fall apart. Our marriage was in turmoil 
and almost ended. We were suffering and in despair, but we realised we'd brought it all on ourselves. We'd opened up our home, our marriage and our business to attacks from the enemy. We realised we did not have our priorities lined up with God's priorities. And we learned the hard way that there are consequences to having a heart condition that rebels against God and his ways and is unwilling to trust and obey. I'm pleased to say there has since been much correction, repentance, forgiveness and reconciliation, as well as prayerful seeking after God for his direction in what we do. And we are on guard, sensitive to the leaning we have to do things our own way in order to avoid a repeat performance. It was a time of darkness and desolation and despair that we don't want to repeat. But just like Jeremiah, we don't need to remain in despair. He, like we can, recognise God's sovereignty in suffering. In this book of sorrow, the prophet reflects, I have hope. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The word used for hope in this passage is victory. It conveys a sense of future triumph. And Jeremiah knows that God's great love for us means that our future is secure. No matter what our circumstances might suggest because our expectations and assumptions are no match for God's will and purpose. Every morning we have a fresh dose of God's goodness and grace and compassion towards us. Not only do we receive the mercies of God and his grace in the moment that we are saved, but we have them now and they are new every morning. Not just some mornings, but every morning. Every single day is another day where God shows us his love and his compassion, and every single day is another opportunity for us to turn our hearts to him in submission. Has sorrow or suffering made your life feel like a dark silhouette of what it once was? Remember, God's mercies are new every morning. He is compassionately working in your life for his glory and for your blessing. In all things and at all times, we should remember to look to God and trust him. As we are reminded in Proverbs verse, sorry, chapter 3, verse 6, in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. His promises are absolutely sound and we can trust that he will fulfil his word. Our, expect, our expectation that he will is called faith. <clears throat> we can expect God to do exactly what he says he will do because we are told over and over in the Bible that he will and he does. Like in 2 Corinthians 1.20, Joshua 21.45, Psalm 19.7, Psalm 77.8, 2 Peter 1.4, just to name a few. And there's so many more. And there's so much evidence that what he says will happen, happens. When based on God's word, our expectations will never fail to be met. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. And because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail they are new every morning. From the very beginning of time, God promised to solve our problem of rebellion. He sent the promised Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross and take our place so that no matter how many times we rebel in disobedience, we have new mercies and new compassion from God 
every single day. We don't need to go to the temple in Jerusalem because we are the temple of God's very nature, his Holy Spirit, who he promised to send to us to be our guide and our companion. So let me ask you this morning, what state is your temple in? If it's still being built, I invite you to ask God to build it. If you have built it yourself and it's finished and it's pristine, I invite you to ask God to occupy it. If it's under siege, I invite you to ask God to fortify it. And if it has been destroyed by the enemy, I invite you to ask God to restore it. As we've seen throughout the story of the Israelites provided to us in Jeremiah and now here in Lamentations, God keeps his promises. What he said he would do, he does, whether we think it is for our good or not. Because of his great love for us, we can trust that he's always working for our good in all things. Because of his great love for us, he shows us his mercies and his compassion, which are new every morning. This means that every day is a new opportunity for us to make a fresh ending, a future of abiding in his love and his grace in obedience and enjoying his blessings now and forever. Let's pray.